0: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So go ahead and join me in prayer as we ask for God's help in the the hearing and in the speaking of of his words. Let's pray together. God, we... We come now in our time of gathered worship, we've, we've sung over each other, we've greeted each other, we've enjoyed donuts together, all kinds of things we do together as we gather and now we come to hear from you and your word proclaimed and, and we need your help for that. God, there's, uh, if you're not in and through all of this, uh, I don't know why we're here. And so God, I, I pray that you would show up, your spirit would be active in, in teaching, convicting, comforting where you need to, and God, where I say my own things, may those words fall away and be forgotten, but where I speak after you, do the work of changing our hearts and minds that only you can do. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I posed a question on Facebook this past week that I want to pose uh, here to you this morning, and that is this. What images, what pictures come to mind when you hear the word wisdom? It's fun to see all the responses. Thanks to some of you for weighing in. I've got a few to share on the screen. The most popular answer was an owl, which which makes sense, uh, but it was way off my radar. was surprising to me, but there it is. Um, Next was Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings. That was a smart pick, I thought. Uh, Several mentioned gray hair. Uh, There were several mentions of Aslan from Narnia. Um, a couple that weren't really images, applied knowledge, experience, learning from mistakes, uh, your own from others, those were most common. Predictably, Solomon and Jesus from the Bible made it on the list. That's good. Uh, we'll talk more about Jesus uh, in a little bit. Uh, less likely was Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. It's a very debatable entry, I thought, uh, if you know that series. But my my personal favorite was from my uncle. It's not a picture, but sort of a, its own proverb uh, in its own right. He said, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, which I thought, that's the perfect application of knowledge, right? Uh, wisdom in a proverb. So it's fun to hear from others. Today, we are going to turn to the Bible, specifically Proverbs chapter 3, to hear more about wisdom. And this this passage has another image uh, that for understanding wisdom more fully. It's It's one of the primary images in the whole chapter, in all of Proverbs, and then really in all of Scripture. It's a central image, picture. Today, we are going to talk about the heart. Now, most of us think of wisdom in terms of the head, right? Usually one covered with gray hair. That's kind of the picture of wisdom. We think of intellect. We think of understanding, of of experience, right? Over the years. And that's not wrong. Wisdom is absolutely about the way that we think and know in the world. But that's not the full picture, at least not the full picture of biblical wisdom. In the Bible, wisdom is as much about the heart as it is about the head. Or to say it a different way, wisdom is about what you know and about what you love. And then, of of course, it's about how you live. The definition of wisdom that we're working with for this series, Restart Smart, is the skillful art of living in God's world. And so it's the head, it's the heart, and it's the hands, right? Wisdom is is about skillfully navigating life according to God's design. But the picture of the the heart, and specifically how the Hebrews thought about it, how the Bible talks about the heart, it's important to understand if we're going to get the Proverbs right. So before we get to Proverbs 3, I'm gonna take a little detour, a preface, a longer preface, to talk about the Hebrew heart. For starters, they correctly understood it as the organ that keeps you alive, right? So there's this uh, very obviously physical aspect to the heart. But interestingly enough, they the Hebrews didn't have a word for the brain. So so they so knowing and understanding and processing and discerning, that all happened in the heart. Which means there's also an intellectual aspect to the heart, which is probably the major difference. We don't really talk about our hearts thinking things often, but we do. Probably the strongest similarity between our thinking of the heart and the, and the, the biblical Hebrew way of talking about it is, is the emotional aspect. Like us, the heart is where you feel feelings. Uh, it's, it's the seat of your affections, your desires, right? You love with your heart. You feel with your heart. You, you want with your heart, and you make choices from your heart. So fourth, it's the, it's the volitional center. It's where the will resides, where you decide and, and take action. I love this quote from an Anglican priest, Reverend Dr. Ashley Knoll. I think he gets it just right. He says, but the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. The mind doesn't direct the will. The mind is actually captive to what the will wants, and the will itself, in turn, is captive to what the heart wants. And the, and the next proverb over, chapter 4, says this, above all else, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, is the wellspring of life. That's not just Christian dating advice, guard your heart, okay? That's at the heart of what it means to grow in wisdom, and that's what we're talking about today. How do we, how do we become wiser? How do we grow in wisdom? The Hebrews understood one more truth about the heart, and that's this, that it is deeply flawed. We have a serious heart problem, humans do. Jeremiah 17 says that our hearts are desperately wicked, hopelessly deceitful. Who can know it? In the Psalms, David, King David, pleads with God to create in him a pure, clean heart. And Paul, the apostle in Romans 1, says this, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The default mode of our hearts is foolishness. That's the witness of the Bible from cover to cover. It's not that we're as bad as we could possibly be, but that every part of our being, our thoughts, Our thinking, our affections, our wills, they're all bent towards ourselves and distorted by sin. So the question for us this morning, it's a long way winding path to our our guiding question for the morning. It's this. If we're going to grow in wisdom, if we want to keep getting wiser, if we want to avoid foolishness, what does your heart, what does my heart need? What do our hearts need? Like I said, that's a it's a long prologue, but now we're, we're going to jump into Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you have a phone, click there. Flip to the middle. Turn to the right a little bit. It's right in there, the Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to see four needs of the heart in verses 1 through 12. I'm just going to warn you right up front, they all begin with the letter D. Just could not resist the alliteration. It was there. So if you have some Baptist roots, you're going to, be, you're going to feel right at home here today. We've got four D's. Uh, four needs of the heart. First, if you're going to grow in wisdom, your heart needs direction. Look at verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So a couple things to notice right off the bat, one primary thing. This is a conversation between a father and a son. It's a parent-child dialogue, and this metaphor, that metaphor of, of parenting, it's strong throughout, and the context is important there for the teaching. This is one of, t- of ten conversations like this in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, the, the end of the first major section of the book. And the first thing he says, it's a, it's a common refrain throughout all of those conversations. He says to his son, don't forget my teaching. Remember what I've said to you, and keep Keep my commands in your heart. The language, it carries the force of of understanding that leads to doing. So understanding that leads to obedience. That's the idea of keeping the commands in the heart. Now, I feel like 80% of parenting right now with my three-year-old, Evie, is asking her the question, do you understand me? And, and it's, of course, a question of comprehension, right? There are things that, dots that she's not connecting because she's three. Sometimes it's a matter of, of understanding in that regard. But listen, she usually, she usually understands more than she lets on, for one. And so we push, we say, do you understand? Do you, do you hear what we're saying? Are you listening to us? And the true test of understanding is what? Will she do what I said? Will she do it? And that's the force of the Father's instruction here to keep his commands. Understanding that is demonstrated by obedience. Not Not just intellectual understanding, but doing. But growth in wisdom, it actually digs a layer deeper than that. It's not just saying please or thank you or sorry on command when asked. Our three year old can do that pretty well. she's paying attention. she can understand us, say the words, and that's something I guess it's a, it's a step along the path of learning but the real goal is that she will become a person of humility, of gratitude, of compassion, someone who who means the words that she says and say them because they flow from her heart. The goal is that of parenting is that Someday, the wise direction of a parent becomes second nature. It becomes a part of the child. They know your instruction by heart. My friends, we are all a bunch of three-year-olds by default. Some of you have grown in wisdom because you are listening to God's direction. You've been obedient. You're keeping his instruction. But we all, all of us need to grow here Like children, you need God's direction to shape who you are and how you live. And it takes work, like real effort to be obedient to what God has said. It takes effort to know God's word by heart so that it becomes second nature. Where it becomes just as natural as saying please and thank you. Or singing happy birthday, right? No one has to... No one has this, no, no child learned happy birthday by looking at a card, or I don't have to hand it out if we were going to sing happy birthday to someone. You know that, right? You know the song by heart. That's the idea. And rote memorization, sort of just memorizing verbatim alone, won't cut it. You can't just commit God's word to memory and it'll magically make you wise. You have to do it. You can have Philippians 4, 6 through 7 nailed. Word for word, you know it by heart. Uh, you know, pick your translation, you know it. You know that, you're not spo- that you are to be anxious about nothing, but in all things you are to offer your requests, your burdens, lay them before God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart. You, you could know that, but if you never actually lay your burdens before God in prayer... You will not grow in wisdom. We have to to do what God commands. Keeping God's commands in your heart means putting them into practice. And when you do, the proverb paints a picture of the good life, of prosperity, of fullness of days, of shalom, peace, wholeness, completeness. That's the picture. When you live in God's world according to, To his design, you experience wholeness and completeness. So first, if you're going to grow in wisdom, you need direction. Your heart needs direction. Your heart also needs devotion. Look at verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So there's two words that are translated love and faithfulness. Those are like big hitter Old Testament words, especially that that word for love. It's hesed. It's often translated kindness or steadfast love or or mercy. It's a hard word to translate in English. We just don't have a word that really gets all of it. But that word combo, the love and faithfulness, it's one of God's favorite ways to describe himself. So when he says, This is who I am, Exodus 34, he's, he's, he's revealing himself, renewing the covenant with his people. And he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, this is who I am. This is the one speaking, the, the faithful and loving one. Or just as we heard read earlier in Psalm 103, and sang together. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. It's all over the Old Testament as a way of describing who God is. And probably my favorite, so I quote the Jesus Storybook Bible in about, you know, four out of five of my sermons that I preach, because I love it all the way through, and kids and parents, you'll you'll pick up on this. This love is translated this way. God's love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Hesed. Love and loyalty are central to God's character, to who he is. And the father here says to the son, bind these characteristics around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. If you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to get wiser, you need to remember not just what God has said, his commands, his teaching to you. Your heart needs to experience who he is. His devotion toward you. God's loyal, persistent, unchanging love has to be in your face and carved into your being. That's the picture. Wear it like a necklace so you'll never forget it, so it's always with you. Carve it on the tablet of your heart like a permanent inscription that will not fade. Like stone tablets... The Father says, God's love for you must be engraved on your heart. Now, surprisingly, this is, it's easier to say than to experience, right? Easier said than done. Doesn't seem like it would be hard for us to remember that God loves us, but we can forget. In moments of failure or, or darkness or sadness or hurt, shame, you can lose the grip of God's loyal love for us. And so the application is simple, if, if not easy. Don't go a day without reminding yourself that God loves you and that he'll never stop. He is abounding in steadfast, enduring, faithful love for you. Set a reminder on your phone. Surround yourself with people, with friends, who will speak this over you. Make it the most important part of your day, remembering God's faithful love for you. Because if we can hold tightly to that truth, we can grow in wisdom. We can become the people that God intends for us to be. And the proverb promises that we'll have good reputation before others and before God. That is the good life. Your heart needs God's devotion. Okay, two more. You're, you're probably reading ahead and guessing these. Third, your heart needs dependence. Verses five and six, pro- the verses I read before we started, probably the, some of the most popular proverbs, well-known proverbs. If you put them with 7 through 10, they really highlight our need for relying on God. There are three commands in there. Trust the Lord, verse 5. Fear the Lord, verse 7, which we saw last week is the beginning of wisdom, the right kind of worshipful fear of God. And verse 9, honor the Lord. Three imperatives all relating for how we're to relate to God as dependent upon him. Our need to put our weight fully on him. Now, everything around us and inside of us, remember our uh, broken hearts, say that the good life is found not through dependence, but what? Through independence. We can do it. I don't need anyone else. But for me, I don't know about you, but that's when life goes sideways. Totally. When I. When I pull away from God, I follow my own heart. That's when I'm painfully aware of how broken I am. Instead, the proverb says we are to rely on God with all of who we are. Verse five. We are to approach Him with fear, the, not dread, but the the reverent awe, the fear of the Lord. Verse seven. Like He is the one that's on the throne, not us. And we are to honor Him literally. Give him weight or heaviness. That's the root of the word for honor. We are to honor him with the best of all that we have, verse 9. And when we do that, when we shift our weight away from ourselves and onto God, away from our own version of the good life and onto the one that he lays out for us, we're promised that God will make a way for us to flourish. Now, I gave some serious thought for about 10 seconds this last week about doing a real live trust fall, just like maybe right here. Uh, there's no really nowhere high enough, right? That's why we're not doing one this morning. Um, has anyone done a trust fall here before? Yeah, they're they're super cheesy, right? Um, but they're a little bit scary, too. I mean, really, everyone's like, I could do that. And then you turn around, and it's like, uh, are these people going to catch me or not? Right? It really all depends on who's standing there waiting to catch you but but it's cheesy but it, you you really feel what it feels like to stand on the brink of entrusting all of yourself to someone else and that's the picture here putting all of your weight into the arms of a loving father who is trustworthy who is worthy of our fear of our honor of all that we have And here's a a question, this is about as basic a question as you get on a Sunday morning. Where do you need to rely fully on God right now in your life? It's a basic question. Maybe one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is trust God. To not depend on your own understanding of the world, but to turn away from sin, to run to God and the life he offers, to put all of your weight on God with your money and with your stuff. I mean, verses five through ten just get right down to it. Where are you holding back or or hunkering down, deciding no, I'm not, I'm not falling on God? In what parts of your day or your week or your calendar or your budget, where do you think you have a better grasp on life than God does? Where are you tempted to consider yourself wise? I know exactly where it is for me. The parts of my life where I I think I've mastered it or at least tamed this thing. And then the second, the, the moment I shift my weight back to myself, I falter. I veer off course. The ugliness of my heart is on full display. Your heart, my heart needs to depend on God because our hearts are broken beyond repair, apart from the grace and power of God. And you and I need, we, we actually long for the good life that dependence offers us, a straight path, physical wholeness. There's the, this picture of health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Psalm 32 actually paints the opposite picture. When I, when I held my sin secret from God, his hand was heavy on me and it sapped my strength, like in the, the heat of the summer. Here it says, no, you can, you can fear the Lord, run from evil, and he will give you health. It's not a health, wealth, prosperity teaching. It's a description of flourishing inside of God's design for life. It's the picture here in verses 5 through 10. When your heart depends on God, you put yourself in a position to enjoy life the way he intended it. Okay, one more. Your heart needs direction. It needs devotion, God's devotion. It needs complete and utter dependence on God, and forth your heart needs discipline. Now, let's face it, discipline really stinks. As a kid, I hated it. As a dad, I think I like it even less. But listen to what the proverb says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. I do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Just like children need correction, our hearts need the loving discipline of a father who knows what's best for us. If we're going to become wise, we need rebuke, we need training, we need to be told no. And the author of Hebrews, he quotes this passage with some really helpful commentary. So I'm going to read it. It's a little bit long. Just listen. It's on the screen. He says, he's quoting this proverb. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all heard, we've all had human fathers Who disciplined us, and we we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They, human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Just as a loved child is disciplined for their good, so are we corrected by our Father in order to grow. And we have some rose bushes out front, kind of right in front of our entrance. So I really really need to cut back, like right now. This is the time of the year to do it. And they look terrible after. I mean, I, I cut them down to four inches from the ground. They look awful. But if I don't prune them, they'll be, they'll be even worse in the spring. They're all rangy and wild. They, they look very few flowers. Right? There's this whole plant to nourish. So the flowers look terrible. If I lop them down, the roots in the winter, the roots are actually forced to go deeper. And the flowers in the spring... They're more beautiful, they're more vibrant than if I just left them alone. And that's what our hearts are like. They need to be pruned. Your heart needs to be cut back, forced to put deep roots down in order to flourish, in order to, to grow. Your heart will never become wise if it's never told no, or never experiences the painful conviction of guilt over sin or despises the hardship that accompanies growth, being strained to the point of, getting, of, of growing. Now, you can, you can try to dodge the guilt or numb the pain or stuff your mistakes down really deep. You can try to avoid God's discipline, but you shouldn't. Don't. Because that's not what's best for you. You and I, we need to know the discipline of God. Because we are his children. Loved enough not to be left alone to our, our wayward, deceitful hearts. He delights in you. Too much to, let, to stand idly by. When your heart needs correcting. If we want to grow in wisdom, if we want to get wiser we need direction, devotion, dependence, discipline. A good old Baptist alliteration. That's true for each and every one of us, whether, whether we are eight or whether we're 80. We all need this. Our hearts need this. In fact, there's only one person to ever walk this earth who didn't need what we need, and that's, that's Jesus himself. I'm going to read the opening verses of Hebrews 12, Right? where the author starts before he gets to this section on discipline. And I just want you to hear... That was close. I just want you to hear what our hearts need more than anything. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The son in whom the Father delighted, consider him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the one whose heart depended on the Father more than any other. Consider him so that your heart doesn't become discouraged. There is nowhere you're going where he's never been. There's nothing you're facing that he didn't endure, and there's nothing you need that he doesn't have. In fact, only with Jesus can we find what our hearts really need, what they were made for. And he himself, Jesus himself, is our wisdom. He is the good life. And only in him can we find wholeness, shalom, peace. He is the way that will always be straight and the life that our tired, weary bones need. And he is the son that makes possible our experience of God's delight in us. You can be smart and savvy and experienced with gray hair and scars to prove your long life. But if you don't have Jesus, you're missing out on the life for which you were made. The wisdom of God and the person of of his son, Jesus. That's what your heart really needs. to To be made new in Jesus. Only he can make that possible. Let's pray. God, thank you that, you that you treat us as children, that we can address you as father, and as a father who has steadfast, enduring, loyal love for us, God, I pray we would not forget that, that our, our obedience to you would be rooted in your love for us. There's nothing we can earn before you.